Hi. Hi. Welcome to episode 16, I think. Yes. Yeah, episode 16. Of Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. That suspicious face is Jackie. <laughs> okay. And that <laughs> ugly face is Izzy. Whoa. Whoa. True, but damn. Well, you started it. You I said your face was suspicious. Yes. Don't have such a suspicious face if you don't want to call it out. That's all I'm saying. No, now we're talking about calling people out. How was your week? Oh, this week has been awful. Oh, no. Like a lot. What happened? So, okay. First of all, I had to work. So, trash already, right? Right. <laughs> Every week is awful. Anyway, <laughs> continuing. After that, I get a phone call from Reagan saying she wants to look at the car because I'm planning on selling her my old car. Are you going to call like, her out on air? No. I think it's Reagan. I'm calling myself out. And I had a check engine light on for a while and I was like, okay, I'll go get it checked out. And the dealership was like, hey, we got your check engine light fixed, but there's like another $3,000 worth of stuff we have to do. And if you want to take oh. the car, you have to sign something here saying that you have been told that the car is unsafe to drive. <laughs> it's like I've been driving this car for years. I've never had any. What do you mean it's unsafe to drive, right? <laughs> this is news and to so me. Like, yeah. And so they were supposed to come get it Saturday. So I was like, and this was Tuesday. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take it to a different place to get a second opinion. And I do, and they look at it later. And now it, this is Wednesday now. And they're like, um, okay, we can't look at it until tomorrow, but drop it off and we'll see what we see. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, and tomorrow they call back. So Thursday now. And they're like, hey, yeah, we basically confirmed everything the dealership said. Ooh. So it's we found the parts and it's going to be cheaper than what the dealership said, but we do have to do all that work. So now we're going to be like, $1,200 pre-tax. Oh, no. <laughs> and we're only selling it for three k to Reagan. Of well, what we have to do to the car. Has Charity, so I'm going to do that. Has Charity started paying you for it? No. You maybe want to say, hey. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not to raise the no. price or anything, but to just let her know. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell her, but... But Friday, rolls. yeah, raise it's the Thursday. price. Reagan, you heard it here first. <laughs> no. That would be so mean. So no, mean. I'm not doing that. You're but a terrible. Sister. It's like Thursday, and then they're like, "Hey, we took your car apart, and we found out there's a part that we need that we didn't order, and oh. we don't have it. So now we have to order it." And so I had to call mom and dad. Friday and be like, oh, hey, you know how you guys were going to um, come out here? Well, don't. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they understood. Yeah, no, I mean, they did, but still. And then they found mouse poop in my attic. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but they came out on Friday and put the traps down and everything. Do you have like a pest control person you go through? 
Yeah. Yeah, and they did it. And they didn't charge anything because we're on like a subscription with them. So that was really nice. But now I'm thinking about it. And they left all the traps here. And they said they're going to get it the next time they come out, which is like in three months at least. But now I'm going to have all these dead rat bodies. Not rat, mouse. I could not handle a rat. <laughs> but I'm going to have all these dead mouse bodies in my house until they come get it, right? Just seal up the attic. Don't go up there. That'll be fine. Uh, okay, listen. The mouse ghosts won't bother you. You're fine. Oh, God. <laughs> didn't even think of that before Do you remember? Now. Do you remember living in our house in Kino and we went to like redo that room in the basement and we opened the wall and there was like mouse bodies. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> well, that won't happen to you. So it's fine. Oh, great. Thank <laughs> you so much for that. You're welcome. Turns out I'm the mean sibling. <laughs> well, has this ever been a question? Well, yeah, you did call me ugly. So <laughs> <laughs> you said worse things to me before. Nobody listened to her sob story. I'm crying. I've never said a mean word to her in my life. Okay. <laughs> so this is my last week at work, uh, which is good. That means we could probably record more and I can edit more and all that stuff. But uh, I'm taking, I quit to focus on some health problems I've been having. And I had to have like a long talk with myself that even if I'm just cooking and cleaning, that's still providing 50% of the support for my relationship and my household. I don't have to contribute financially for me to still be contributing. And that was a really hard hill for me to get over. But I did, and and uh, I'm going to focus on my health and focus on um, getting healthy moving forward. And then my boss said she'd hire me back in a heartbeat. So hopefully when everything's figured out, I can go back. That'll be great. Yeah. Speaking of work, we can go up to 50% capacity starting the 15th. So we've got people booking uh, shows and banquets and stuff. So You're saying everything's starting again? Everything's starting again, it feels like. Uh, I don't necessarily – I know that we have been on a downslope in Washoe County here, so hopefully it's all good. <laughs> hopefully it turns out well. Yeah, we've been having a rash of COVID in my office, so hopefully Imagine that, that doesn't impact – uh, well, the funny thing is, is we've been at the same capacity in my office for months now, and now it's starting to open up and we don't deal with the public. I mean, it's not just you that's probably opening. I don't want to get into it, but. No, I think everywhere is starting to open up a little bit and, you know, let's not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot. Okay. Yeah, but. On the good side of things, hopefully that means business picks up and I can get my job back when it's time to. You feel ready. Yeah, of course. I don't want to go back You're and then have school? the same problems and be like, hey, guess what? Bye. Are you still doing school? Yeah, I'm just taking one class right now because I cannot handle Zoom. I uh, My questions don't get answered. It's really frustrating for everyone. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to do an online class here and there and call it good. But uh, I only need like three more classes after this one to graduate with my associates. So. Hey, that's great. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. You're still doing accounting, right? 
Well, my associates is going to be in English, and I haven't decided where I want to go after the associate. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's too late to change my associates now. I just know we had talked about it before, so. Yeah. I mean, I like accounting, but I'm, I also really like uh, researching and writing. So I'm looking at going into investigative journalism as well, because that's really the only type of writing degree you can get that involves like research and writing about topics that you have to research and, and, and things like that. Whereas like I can major in creative writing, but that's not necessarily what I want to do. Linguistics was a no-go because I enjoy learning about like the anthropology side of linguistics, but to learn like actual linguistics involving like mouth sounds, it was like watching paint dry. I just can't do it. Um, yeah. Or I could uh, major in literature, but literature is not what I want to do. I want to research and write. So I think investigative journalism is probably the best way to learn what I like to do. Nice. I'm just worried about, you know, jobs after graduating. As we all are. As we all are. So do you have a, oh, so did we want to like switch up who does the first and last murders each time or? Yeah, we can. You want to, you want to give it a shot and see if it feels weird? I'll give it a shot. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So I researched the Klein Falls axe attack, which is an attempted murder, not a murder, but it is unsolved. And it's just really interesting because the whole thing and the reason why we know so much about the attack is because. One of the survivors, it happened, she tried to move on with her life, but kept having like PTSD from the event and things like that. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to research it. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to confront it head on. And she ended up writing a book about it. And it's actually really amazing. That's got to be some kick-ass therapy. Hell yeah, it does. And the fact that she was strong enough to to go back and have this horrible, horrible thing happen to her which I will tell you about, learn about what causes it, why it's there, what happened to her to cut through the red tape, to get her brain to remember things correctly, and then to to, to be able to write a book and come to terms and get closure is amazing. So I will take you back to the summer of 1977. Terry and her roommate Avra were students at Yale University, and they decided to spend the summer break cycling on the newly opened Transamerica Trail. The pair had finished the trail in Astoria, Oregon, and decided to head back east through Oregon. On the evening of June 22, 1977, two female college students named Terry Gents and Ivor Goldman, the two I was speaking of before, were on this, it was a cross-country cycling ride. 
The two decided to camp for the night in Klein Falls State Park, which is next to the Deschutes River near Redmond, Oregon. You know where that is. I think so. <laughs> you have an um, inkling? I would. Well, I mean, we didn't know where it was growing up. I know, like, what it looks like from the inside. It's it's Central Oregon. Okay. Around 11.30 p.m., both women were asleep in the tent. They had both spoken to one another and stated that the area unnerved them and they felt like they were being watched. Not a good feeling, especially. Yeah, when I really don't like that, Lizzie. Especially when you're in a state park alone in a tent. Well, not alone. I guess you have your friend, but that's alone enough. You're not going to like this next part either. The women were awoken by the sound of a truck pulling into their campsite. Jensen initially believed that the truck was full of partying teenagers. But, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. The truck proceeded to drive over the tent before stopping, pinning Jensen. What? Yep, drove right over it. Ran him over. It pinned Jensen to the ground, breaking both of her arms, one leg, her collarbone, and several rib- ribs. <clears throat> and several ribs. The truck also crushed her lung, as you can imagine. But things get even worse. A man exited the vehicle carrying an axe. He struck Avra six times in the head. He then turned to Jens. Jens recalls, I looked up at him and opened my eyes and said, take anything but leave us alone. Please leave us alone. He brought the axe down slowly, like towards her head. She caught it with her hands right above her heart. Grab the blade in my hand, she says, and then he withdrew it. So she literally grabbed the blade of the axe and was like, take what you want. Leave us alone. Yeah. Dang. I don't know if I could do that. That's that's a lot. Well, the amazing thing is, is the man then got in his truck and drove away. He was like, all right, I'll leave you alone. Got in his truck and left. Jeez. Jens managed to stumble to a nearby road where she was able to flag down Bill Penhollow and Darlene Gervais, a teenage couple who were passing by. They went to the campsite to help Avra, and while they were there, they saw a pair of headlights appear in the distance, but it ended up driving away. Could you imagine, like, you're there to help somebody whose tent had been ran over and you see headlights again? (laughs) Like, uh uh-oh, he's back, but they're back. I have a good feeling, but I'll tell you about that in a second. Police arrived at the campsite on... June after midnight on June 23rd. So police arrived at the campsite after midnight on June 23rd and began investigating the scene. They noted that the tire marks were from a vehicle that had bald tires in the rear, which were six inches in width. One of the front tires was possibly bald, while the other had significant tread. Which, first of all, that's not how you put tires on. If your tires are bald, you don't just replace one. You replace all of them. Second, it just seems to me like it's not somebody that's that takes care of cars because I, I don't know. It's just weird that three of the tires are bald and one was like brand new with significant tread. Unless they're like really poor or something. Couldn't afford more than one. I guess that's fair. A lot of times there are deals on them though. So maybe it was like a spare. Maybe one of the tires popped finally and they put a spare on. Anyway, Both Jens and Avra were taken to the St. Charles Medical Center in Bend, Oregon, where Avra underwent a nine-hour emergency brain surgery. Detectives were unable to obtain a description of the attacker from the victims, as Avra had significant brain trauma, imagine that, 
and did not remember oh. anything from the attack. It's amazing she survived. Uh, Jumps did not see the face of the attacker, but stated that he was a physically fit young cowboy based on clothing and stature. She also noted that not a single thing was out of place. He was meticulously cleaned and dressed. Uh, his clothes were ironed. Like, it was just very strange to her how put together he was. In the weeks following the attempted murder, a local woman in Redmond told authorities that she was told the attacker was a 17-year-old named Richard Dick Dam. So his nickname was Dick. Because, you know, he's a dick. Got him. <laughs> Dam was interviewed on several occasions, and it was discovered that he had been in a fight with his girlfriend, Janie Fraley, around the date of the attack. We never gave an alibi for the night of the 22nd. Fraley interesting. Den- yeah, interesting indeed. Fraley denied that they were fighting that night, but did state that the two of them fought often. Dan was given a polygraph, and it was determined to be inconclusive. He was given a second polygraph, and it showed him as being deceptive, but these results were called into question later when it was found Dan was on methamphetamine during the second test. These results were sent to the state capital to be analyzed, and the Analysts believe that the results showed that Dam was being deceptive during both tests. Fraley told detectives that Dam had changed the tires on his truck shortly after the attack, which is why I said the thing about changing tires, and that the toolbox in the back had been removed. She also stated that Dam had been abusive throughout their entire relationship. So there is another suspect, but I would like to point out about Richard Dam. This is the person that Jens believed is responsible, and she wrote about him in her book. But I would like to discuss another suspect that was a convicted child rapist and murderer named Richard Wayne Goodwin. Godwin, excuse me. After the attack, Godwin was in prison for the murder of a five-year-old whose skull he used as a candle holder. Wow. Yeah. On the night of the attack, a relative of Godwin, who he allegedly was having a sexual relationship with, was possibly staying at the Klein Falls Park. Despite the authorities naming Godwin as a suspect, Jens stated that he did not resemble the man that had attacked them. The good news is, is both Jens and Avra recovered, although Avra was left with vision problems resulting from her trauma. After 15 years of reoccurring nightmares, Jens started to investigate the attack herself in 1992. She wrote a book named Strange Piece of Paradise about the attack and her quest for answers. She stated that going back to find what happened to her has allowed her to move forward. The bad news is that, unfortunately, if the attacker is found, they would not be able to be prosecuted as the statute of limitations is up. I just, the entire idea that you can do something shitty and then get away with it and not worry about prosecution after because there's a timeline on it doesn't make sense to me at all. Like, you know, with the Golden State Killer, they had to fix the way in California. A lot of his early crimes, most of them until they connected the murders back to him, would have gone completely without prosecution mm-hmm. or anything, even after they caught him, because too much time had taken place. And, and that's outrageous for raping someone. You just, like, they're like, oh, well, it did happen, like... 10 years ago so is, <laughs> you're up with warning this time buddy that is the gut reaction to have but it is one of our rights that 
we have, well, I guess it's not one of our rights, but I know that there's a reason these statute of limitations exist, and I would like to do some research on it to see why a violent rape or an attempted murder has this sort of statute of limitations on it. I mean, it, it's outrageous. There's, if you do something, you should get punished for it. But people are like, oh, he has a wife and kids now. He has a family. And it's like, yeah, and she had to deal with years of therapy afterwards. So I, I get where you're coming from. I would like to do I would like to do some research on it just to get the factual reason why for sure. I don't even know the facts why, honestly. I, I know and I it's agree. Like you shouldn't be able to violently rape someone or try to murder someone because your intention was to murder someone and then have the statute of limitations get up. I agree. I just think there's a reason behind it that might be a good reason that I just don't know. I mm. hope, I hope there's I a reason doubt. behind it. That's a good reason that we have it. But that is the Klein Falls axe attack that took place in Redmond, Oregon. My sources were Wikipedia, of course, the Klein Falls axe attack and CNN.com in an article titled Survivor of Hatchet Attack Confronts Her Past by Ted Rollins. And, uh, yeah. I have talked about this case before. So, to those of you who have been listening to a prior episode, so you might you might recognize a couple of details of this case. And I'm not saying what this case is yet, because we'll get to that later. Okay. August 3rd, 2009. And 911 gets a call from OnStar. And I don't know if everybody remembers what OnStar is. But it's like, you know, I'm going to describe it. It's like an automated feature in a bunch of cars. It was really oh, yeah. popular around where if you got into an accident or something and you didn't respond, they would call the police for you. Yeah, yeah. I remember like, you had the little button from the commercials. You'd see somebody that crashed into a tree and they'd press the button and be like, OnStar? I remember. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they're still making it nowadays, but I don't really see as many commercials and stuff, so I don't know if it's as popular now. The 911 got a call from OnStar saying that they had been there had been a crash. So the police officers get to the scene and they find this black Cadillac Escalade, which if those are the big SUVs, and it was down like, and it says an approximately 125 foot embankment, so basically a cliff. <laughs> like, it was way down there. When the police are eventually able to get down inside the car, they find Shannon Hercup. Now there was a couple things going on here. So the accident happened just before midnight, and it was pretty dark already, obviously, because it's night. The police officers have to go kind of all out for this. They have to have, like, the lights, the whole crew, in order to get the car back up to where they can look at it and see what even what's even going on in there. So they go down there, and they look, and... They say that it was it was just ruled an accident. Her death was ruled an accident. They towed the car to an impound lot. They get her out of there. 
and she was sent directly to a funeral home to be prepared for burial. Wait. So they just said it was the accident and didn't do like an autopsy or anything? Because that's what it looked like. I mean, her car was down the cliff, right? I mean, I guess, yeah. That makes sense. They were able to get her body from the funeral home and get it to an autopsy. Oh, thank God. Because of these things that they found. They were like, there's no way that would have happened at all. They're like, I straight up smell a rat. Exactly. Good for them. Now, her sister, her sister said right away, this is a quote too. She said, right away, my gut told me it was no accident. There has to be more to this. So when they do the autopsy, they find, one second, let me get the results exactly. All right. The autopsy found that she had a bunch of head injuries that she could not have gotten from the crash. Yeah. You know that that I'm glad that they got her into the autopsy for sure cuz but yeah, but the problem is the homicide detectives don't get involved until after the autopsy and after her death is reruled as a homicide. I mean, now in a lot of these cases, the earlier the detectives can get on the case, the better. By far. That's true, but they wouldn't have known it was a homicide until after the autopsy. I mean, the the scene, the issue is is the scene of the crime. Like, they could have been at the road, and they could have been looking at the vehicle and where it was on the embankment and see if there's anything in the way that looks suspicious. But they, I don't know how much time they lost, but... I think it would be safe to say, like, inside of a day, at least. And that's a fair point. They did lose time, but just to play devil's advocate, like, sure, it looks weird, but a lot of other car accidents could look that weird, too. And just because the family is saying, no, she wouldn't have done this, they could just be in denial that this tragedy happened, too. So I understand. Well, I am saying I am saying in this case, yeah, they had to wait until after the coroner changed it to homicide, but in they just lost time. It's all unfortunate. Cases, even the case, the earlier detectives can get on the scene, the better. So the fact That's that they true. lost time Sucks. is kind of an issue here. And the fact that they didn't get to scene, see the scene as it was Did is not also help. an issue. And yeah. the fact that there were probably no pictures taken of the scene or anything because it wasn't suspicious at the time. It was just a car crash also an issue so so you see where i'm saying where this is starting to build into like a perfect storm i want to say shit storm storm, yeah (laughs) we're the detectives right now i get that it's hard so they didn't have a lot of evidence the only thing they said was she was probably killed at her home Then they put her in the SUV, and then they sent her SUV down the cliff to stage an accident. That's just, I mean, that's an odd way to get rid of a body. Now, her whole family was 
really, really just kind of shocked by this, as one would be. I don't think anybody immediately suspects that murder's afoot. But her and her father kind of had a hard relationship. So this article says that it was characterized by bouts of estrangement and reconciliation. So at the time of her murder, they were actually like going to court over some property. Her and her father were going to court over property? Yeah, against <laughs> each other. Ooh, that is a hard relationship if you're taking your parents to court or they're taking you to court. Right, which immediately makes the police and the entire community and the family look at the father mm-hmm. immediately because they were suing each other because they have this relationship. Hey, real quick, dad, please don't sue me. Okay. When Shannon Hercut is found dead, him, his wife, and Shannon's sister, Penny, who I quoted earlier, were vacationing about 400 miles away from the scene. I'm sorry, did so, you say 400 miles? 400 miles away. So kind of a lot for him to, you know, appear to be there and out. But I'm not saying anything about that. I don't know. Obviously, it's unsolved. So as the father tells it, he said he quickly realized it was not an accident and all this stuff. And he was the one that pushed for the autopsy to be performed and... He criticizes the police that worked on the case and all this other stuff. And he had very quick to criticize the police in the entire process. But, um, and I think, I don't know how the police feel about this, but a lot of the information that's on these articles, and this article is the one that says it, is from the family and not from the sheriff's office because the sheriff's office has been extremely tight-lipped about this case. They have not been releasing any information about it. They didn't release anything about the house where they found it. Nothing. Hopefully that means that they have a suspect they're just monitoring. Like, I hope that's what it means and they don't want to release information about it. Hopefully. But the father, who... A lot of people in the community and the family have a lot to say about his involvement, potentially, was the one that said, that told this news agency that SUVs, airbags did not deploy, there were no skid marks at the scene, and something, there's, I guess, in the Escalade, there's something that records the miles per hour that the car is doing, and it was going seven miles an hour before it wrecked. The sister said she went to Shannon's house after the killing and saw a baseball bat in blood on the outside refrigerator and alcohol on the floor. This That isn't where the story ends, with the police not knowing anything, nothing coming out of it, which is kind of sad because at this point it's been 12 years I mean, 11 and some change until we get to August. And then it's been 12 years. That's sad. But 
In 2015, six years after the murder, Penny, her sister, actually goes on to Dr. Phil. And she brings her father. And she says on Dr. Phil and on national television to her father, and I'm going to quote her, I know you have paid someone to kill Shannon and don't sit there and act like you're so innocent. That is a bold claim to make on national TV. Yep. Yep. And she, well, frankly, that's quite an accusation saying that he paid someone to kill her. But she describes him on Dr. Phil as a pathological liar and who made her fear for her life. Oh, I mean, that's hard to argue with. I mean, you can't argue with it because there's you can't really prove that he did anything to make her fear for her life. But that's And a- he also died in 2017. So. Oh. And the police came out and said later that they never found any evidence that he was involved in the killing. So, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But if he didn't, that's quite a thing to have put on your character. So, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything other than that because I don't know. Something the investigators have pointed out was... The evidence pointed to someone outside of the family and someone who knew her. Mm-hmm. He said he believes investigators have nailed down the motive, but if I told you what it was, it'd be obvious who I was talking about. So, ooh, I mean, yeah. it sounds like they've got someone in mind for it. They just need more evidence, probably. I just. I'm sorry. And I was quoting Mick Carter, who is the chief detective. So. Yeah. Not just. It's definitely. It was. You know, he definitely knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And I know that you're far, far more likely to get murdered by somebody that you know than a stranger. So that whole theory definitely makes sense. Yeah. Especially if it has something to do with your house. Mm hmm. Like, if you were killed at home, then obviously it would. Yeah, because if somebody knocks on my door and I don't know them, I'm not answering. They're not forcing their way into my house because my door is locked. Especially, like, while it's dark out. Yeah. Because they're midnight. So there is quite a few hours to uh, account there that were under the darkness. Mm Mm-hmm. Authorities ask anyone with information in the case to call the Sevier County Sheriff's Office at 865-453-4668. So let me tell you my sources real quick before we continue. I got this from Knox News. And it's labeled, it's title is her SUV plunged off a cliff. Then her sister went on Dr. Phil to accuse their father of murder written by Travis Dorman. That's, that's a neat title. 
Yep, kind of sums up the entire case, I think. I think so. I think you're right about that. That was a that was a really good one, Jackie. Thank you for telling me about it. Not a good one. Yeah. Let me clarify. <laughs> Not none of these are good, but that was an interesting story. Very interesting. And I think you know, my favorite part about it isn't even the Dr. Phil part, which is interesting all on its own. It's the fact that she was that somebody tried to like plunge her car off of a cliff mm-hmm. to cover their crime and then immediately on star was like nope <laughs> gotcha gotcha and got the him police were, the police were there within like i don't know how long they if the guy went the route the cops take they probably passed him on the way to the crime scene like that soon oh man it's just wild to think about that like i was <laughs> I don't want to keep referencing it, but <laughs> that case I told you about, about the car in Washington with body parts on in it, mm-hmm. and the dude was just walking away nonchalantly away from this car with body parts in it, and the police, like, picked him up and was like, hey, man. <laughs> what and are you doing? And it turns out the car with body parts in it on the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. He's probably walking away, twiddling his thumbs and whistling. He sees the cops passing and he's like, well, what? I'm just my own business. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I guess the takeaway from these stories is um, don't trust neat cowboys and uh, install OnStar. Are those good takeaways or are those bad? Your thing is the takeaways. I I don't do You can give your opinion. Don't trust a, a tidy cowboy because that's a cowboy that doesn't do any work. Thank you. This is my TED Talk. Uh, if you'd like to know more, you can always find us on Facebook and Twitter at UCSF Podcast. You can also send us an email to ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, feelings. Um, if you want to send Jackie hate mail, it's totally fine. Don't send it to me, though. I will cry. Um, if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear those from you. And And uh, if you are listening to us through Apple Podcasts or you have access to Apple Podcasts, please, please leave us a review. It would help us so much. Let me be specific. Please leave us a nice review. Just kidding. Give us your honest thoughts and feelings because we can't fix the problem. You don't know about. We don't know about. We love to hear any thoughts or feelings anyone has. I say now famous last words, I think. Oh, famous good words. Fam- famous good words. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add? I think we got it. All right. Bye. Bye.